M is for mysticism, M is for mirth, and M is for magic and the law of attraction with Madame Pamita. Episode 50. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Madame Pamita, and you're listening once again to Magic and the Law of Attraction the podcast where you'll learn how to transform your life in magical ways to make it the very best that it can be. Welcome to episode 50 of Magic and the Law of Attraction, how to work with magical amulets and talismans. Amulets, talismans, charms, fetishes, mascots, If you've ever carried an item for good luck or protection, worn something special to attract love or success, or placed a special item in your home to invite blessings, you have worked with these magical items. But where do these special objects get their power and how can you use them effectively? In this episode, I discuss the differences between mascots, talismans, charms, and amulets. We'll go through some of the lore and legend regarding some of the most popular magical objects, and I'll share some special ways you can empower them and use them in your magical practice. But before we get into that, I got a little announcement. Do you want to go to witch school? Consider this your owl bringing you your invitation. If you would like to learn about magic but don't want to leave the comfort of your own home, then I have the answer. Every month, I teach three amazing Zoom workshops. First, I teach this first Sunday's witchcraft workshop. These are how-to workshops showing you one specific magical topic. We dive in very, very deeply. And I have been focusing my first Sunday witchcraft workshops on Slavic magical practices. Coming up, In the months ahead, I'll be teaching topics such as Slavic talismanic embroidery, the Slavic wax pouring ritual, and Slavic living fire magic. There's a lot more to explore there. You'll want to check those out. But there are also new moon candle spell workshops that I teach over Zoom. These come with a deluxe candle spell kit sent right to your door. And together, we meet over Zoom and I show you the tips and tricks. And we drill down to the important details of the spell. And most importantly, I answer all your questions so that you can cast some very powerful candle magic at home. Upcoming, we've got candle spells such as the Lucky Money Frog and the Bring My Lover candle spells that are going to be for the New Moon Candle Spell Workshop. So you'll want to check those out. I also teach a full moon workshop where you get a spell kit sent to you and you learn how to do some powerful spells that don't involve candles. Some of the spells we'll be focusing on in the upcoming months are making a spirit bottle or working with the Rose of Jericho. If you'd like to see these workshops and sign up for them, just go to witchcraftworkshops.com and you'll see everything that we have for the rest of the year and you'll be amazed at all the fun, inclusive, and very, very magical workshops that we have coming up. I hope you'll join me. Just go to witchcraftworkshops.com. All right, are you ready to dive in and learn about the magic of talismans, amulets, and more? Well, let's do it. First, we got to know what we're talking about. So let's get the definition straight. A mascot. So you might know of a mascot being something that you see at a sports game, for example, but the true meaning of the word mascot is a person or thing used to symbolize a particular event or organization. A person or thing 
that is supposed to bring good luck. Now, the word mascot is a late 19th century word that comes from the French mascotte. Mascotte came from modern Provençal mascotto and the feminine diminutive of masco, which is witch. So it's like saying you're inviting a little witch to bring you good luck to your event. Another translation of mascot that we sometimes see is the word totem. Now, the word totem is an Ojibwa word that come, well, comes from the Ojibwa word nindudum, which means my totem. It got translated into English as totem in the late 18th century. Now, a mascot is a natural object or animal that is believed by a particular society to have spiritual significance and that is adopted by them as an emblem. Almost all groups of people have had mascots throughout history. You find them on heraldry, coat of arms, city emblems, and so forth. You might have a personal mascot or a family mascot, a community mascot, a group mascot, and so on. Now, these special plants or animals will have extra power for you. And pieces of these plants or animals or images of these plants and or animals will have power for you. For example, if a fir tree is your special mascot, then a fir branch or a fir cone would offer special protection. If a badger, for example, was your family emblem or your community emblem, then a tooth, a pelt, or a bone would have special properties of protection and luck for you. You can pick a personal mascot, or you can also pick a mascot for a new group. But historically, mascots were passed down from generation to generation. Now, another kind of special magical object that we find is called a fetish. A fetish is an inanimate object that's worshipped for its supposed magical powers or because it was considered to be inhabited by a spirit. In the early 17th century, the word fetish came into our language from the French fetiche, from the Portuguese feitiço, which meant charm or sorcery. It also came originally from the Latin facticius. So an example of a fetish in Slavic magic would be a motanka, which is a Ukrainian spirit doll. That's an example of a fetish. So these are inanimate objects that are believed to have magical powers because a spirit lives in them. Now, another kind of magical object is an amulet. An amulet is an ornament or a small piece of jewelry that is thought to give protection against evil, danger, or disease. Amulets are usually worn or carried, and they're believed to have the power to ward off negative energy, evil spirits, or even illness. They're worn by people as a form of protection and defense against the evil that exists around them. Usually they are small. They can be something that is crafted by a craftsperson, or they can be something that is a natural object that's found. Amulets can be blessed. And the special thing about amulets is that the person who's wearing it does not have to know that it is magical for it to be effective. So, for example, you could create an amulet and give it to a friend or family member 
with a spell of protection on it. And they could just wear it as a piece of jewelry, but you'll know that it is providing some spiritual protection. That spiritual protection is called apopotraic. Apotropes are specific kinds of amulets that are designed to ward off evil. And that word comes from Greek, and it means to turn away. So to turn away negativity. Examples of amulets that you'll find in your day-to-day life could be something like a crucifix. For example, Christian people will wear crucifix for protection, and that's something that's crafted by someone. You could also find a natural amulet, such as garlic, to ward off evil. Wearing runes, for example, can also be done. Carrying a lucky coin or having a horseshoe over your door. These are all examples of amulets. Amulets can also feature a protective symbol, such as an eye and those evil eye charms. Eyes are thought to ward off evil eye by staring right back at it. This goes back to very old magic. Eyes were often painted to ward off the evil eye. They could be painted on buildings, on drinking vessels, on boats. These are all part of Mediterranean magic in Greece and all the Mediterranean countries. In fact, in some parts of the Mediterranean region, we still see stylized eyes painted on the bows of fishing boats to protect the fishermen when they're out fishing in the waters. People believed that doorways and windows of buildings, they still believe that doorways and windows of buildings were particularly vulnerable to the entry or passage of evil. And so in ancient Greek, they would put faces. Sometimes these faces looked like satyrs with beards and with pointed caps. And they'd be carved over the door of ovens and kilns to protect the workers from fires or burns or mishaps. Later, we see churches and castles have gargoyles on them or other grotesque faces such as shilinigigs or hunky punks to frighten away negative influences, negative energies, and people with bad intentions. These figures were also carved at fireplaces and chimneys. Now, you might say, well, that happened in medieval times. Do we see this nowadays? Actually, if you're in the States, you do see these because whenever we carve a pumpkin, those pumpkin lanterns, which their earlier counterparts were made from turnips or beets that we create at Halloween, were meant to avert evil. The season of Samhain in the Celtic New Year was considered to be a time between times when the veil between the spirit world and the world of the living was very thin and that the souls of the dead or other dangerous spirits could walk the earth. So they would create these turnip or beet faces as protection and to cast out that negative magic or those negative spirits. Now, a talisman is an object, typically and could be an inscribed ring or a stone that is thought to have magic powers and to bring good luck. So the word talisman comes to us into English in the mid-17th century and is based on the Arabic word tilsam. Apparently, that is a, a, an alteration of the late Greek telesma, which is completion of a religious rite. And so it was a religious, a symbolic, spiritual thing that was 
had a ritual or rite or some magic put into it, and as a result would bring good magic, good luck, and blessings. Talismans are believed to give more power to the person wearing them. And a talisman is thought to give positive energy to anyone who possesses it. Some famous examples of talismans could be, uh, for example, Excalibur, King Arthur's magical sword, or Aladdin's magical lamp. Magical rods, magical hats are all examples of talismans. These magical objects were carried or worn or placed someplace in the home to instill power, confidence, and strength in those who who held them, who owned them, or who wore them. Talismans were also believed to enhance personal power. Talismans were generally something that was crafted. Now, a charm, our last word that we're going to be talking about today, is an object that is kept or worn to ward off evil and to bring good luck. So example of a charm could be a good luck charm. Charm comes to us from Middle English, from the old French charme or charmer, and which is a song, a verse, or an incantation. So a charm can be an incantation or can be an object that an incantation has been set over. Charms can either be protective or empowering or both. Now, in a minute, I'm going to tell you about my must-have charms that you may want to start incorporating into your practice. But before I do that, do you want to have a little share here? Did you know that I have another podcast? Baba Yaga's Magic is my new podcast all about ancient Slavic witchcraft for modern witches. I want to invite you to come into the hut on chicken feet and take a seat by the fire. In this very special podcast series, I'll take you on a journey to discover the old magic of Central, Southeastern, and Eastern Europe. You'll uncover the magical traditions, learn the spells, and meet the spirits of the Slavic lands. In the podcast episodes that are up now, I've covered topics as diverse as Slavic house spirits, talismanic eggs, ancestor worship, and of course, Baba Yaga herself. In upcoming episodes, I'll be covering Slavic water spirits, hair spells, working with Mother Earth, and so much more. I hope you'll come by and check it out. You can find Baba Yaga's Magic on iTunes and Spotify or by going to babayagasmagic.com. All right, so let's talk about some of the most popular and my favorite talismans, amulets, and magical objects. The first one I want to talk about is horseshoes. Horseshoes have long been considered lucky in many, many cultures, and for lots of reasons. There are many tales and legends about horseshoes. One popular version of a tale of why horseshoes are lucky goes back to the late 10th century in Ireland. In this tale, the blacksmith, St. Dunstan, is visited by the devil who is in disguise and who asks for horseshoes for his hooves, the ones on his feet. Dunstan recognizes that if a guy's walking in there and he's got hooves instead of feet, he's the devil. So he shoes him with hot horseshoes, which cause the devil immense pain. When the devil asks for the painful shoes to be removed, Dunstan agrees only if the devil assures him that he won't visit any structure with horseshoes hanging upon it. 
Now, there's an opinion. This this brings up a special sort of problem. Opinion is divided as to which way the horseshoe ought to be nailed. Some say the end should point up so that it looks like a U, so that the horseshoe catches all the luck. And if the horse horseshoe is pointing with the points down, all the luck will fall out and be lost. Other people say that the horseshoe point should point down so that the luck is poured upon those entering the home. So you get to decide which it is for you. Try them both. I like the horseshoe pointing down. I like the the points pointing down because I want it to come down on me when I cross my threshold. But try both and see which one feels more comfortable to you and trust your intuition about it. There's no wrong way. Now, you know, we think about a horseshoe over a doorway, but houses weren't the only place the horseshoes were used. Sailors actually believed that nailing a horseshoe to the mast would help their vessel avoid storms. So horseshoes were used on boats as well. Now there's another version of the lucky horseshoe tale that goes back to 400 BCE when the Celtic tribes migrated through Europe toward Britain. And they believed that small elves and goblins from the forest would wreak havoc by kidnapping babies or preventing cows from giving milk or preventing hens from laying eggs. The Celts believed that elves and goblins feared metal weapons made from iron in particular. So a horseshoe, which is made from iron, would be a symbol that would be hung on the outside of a building and would protect the home from the mischievous elves and goblins who were up to no good. They also believed that 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 beautiful horseshoe resembled the crescent moon. And the crescent moon is a well-known symbol used by many cultures to fend off evil. Iron was seen as protection against malefic magic, and those horseshoes made from iron were believed to keep away those evil spirits. Traditionally, they were held in place with seven nails, with the seven being the luckiest number. Now, we have horseshoes in all kinds of materials. We have horseshoes at the Parlor of Wonders that are made of iron, and those can be hung over your door. But we also have ones made of brass. Brass is golden in color and represents gold. So a brass horseshoe over your door can not only protect you, but can also bring money luck to your home. Why were they nailed over doors and over windows? Well, doors and windows were liminal spaces where there's a risk of negativity coming into the home, right? It's an opening into the home. So we want to protect those openings. So as I mentioned before, if you want to bring luck to your home, you want to protect your home, hang hang a horseshoe over a doorway or on the inside of the doorway or the outside of the doorway. Hang it with the open end down to share good luck with all passing through or hang with the points pointing up like a U to collect the good luck. Now, another magical talisman are coins. Among the ancient Greeks, an amulet to avert evil was that of the Gorgon. The Gorgon is is a wild creature, the head of which would be called the Gorgonion, and it features wild eyes and fangs and a protruding tongue. Greek coins often had the head of a Gorgon, Medusa, the most famous Gorgon. They had the head of Medusa on it, 
to avert evil. So Greek coins were automatically made to be talismans and amulets to protect and to bring good luck. That Gorgon face also is reminiscent of the faces that we talked about earlier, those uh, scary looking faces that are meant to protect and drive away evil. We find Gorgon imagery on garments and dishes and weapons found across the Mediterranean region, all over the Mediterranean. We find this on coins and all of these other manufactured items. Gorgon coins were struck in 37 different cities, making that image of the Gorgon only the like one of the most popular images on coins. We find the Gorgon image on mosaic floors near the threshold to guard the home. We find it on kilns to protect from mishaps, as I mentioned before. Now, the Gorgon imagery didn't stop when Christianity came in. Even in Christian times, in the Byzantine Empire, including Kievan Rus, we found uh, Gorgon imagery on coins and on decoration. Now, you can even find Gorgon imagery in objects made today. Johnny Versace, you know Versace, high fashion. The logo for Versace is a Gorgon that is meant to bring good luck and keep away negativity. Another lucky coin and that we have at the shop, and we do have a replica Gorgon coin that you can get, but we also have another lucky coin that's a more recent invention, the Billiken coin. The Billiken is a charm that was created by an American art teacher and illustrator, Florence Pretz, who was in Kansas City, Missouri. And she was said to have this seen this mysterious figure in the dream. Now, when she saw this image, she found the name Billiken in a poem and she decided to make this image of this mysterious figure, this spirit, into a an ornamental design. The Billiken is like a monkey-like creature with pointed ears, a mischievous smile, and a little tuft of hair on his pointed head. His arms are short, and he's generally sitting with his legs stretched out in front of him. On the coin is the um, the words that the Billiken is known as the God of things as they ought to be. To buy a Billiken coin was said to give the purchaser luck, but to receive one as a gift would even be better luck. So the coin says the God of things as they ought to be, and the back has a little poem on it that tells you exactly what the Billiken coin is for. It says, I am the God of luckiness, so always keep me nigh. Misfortune's frown will disappear at one flash from my eye. Be sure that I am on the spot when projects you begin. I am the god of luckiness. My name is Billiken. So you'll have to check out the Billiken coin. We have them in, replicas of them in our shop. They're absolutely the most cutest thing ever, and they are a beautiful lucky talisman. Runes are also a beautiful lucky talisman. The Vegvisir, which is Icelandic for signpost or wayfinder, is an Icelandic magical stave, a talisman that is intended to help the bearer find their way through rough weather. The symbol of the Vegvisir is attested in the Hold manuscript, and it was found 
written about 1860, and we don't see anything earlier. So we think it is a newer magical stave. However, that doesn't make it any less powerful. You can carry the Vegvisir to help you find your way when you're, you know, uh, traveling, of course, but it can also be used in magic when you want to find your way symbolically in some way, like you're, you know, trying to find a path for success in some way. That Vegvisir can be used for that. Now, you can, speaking of runes, you can also carry individual runes as talismans. If you learn about the runes and you learn about the power and the meaning of each rune, you can carry a rune that is particular for your situation to help bring magic and help bring support. You can also find bind rune talismans, amulet nex- necklaces, and so forth that are made from bone at the Parlor of Wonders. So check out those talismans and amulets and all of the good things that we have at the Parlor of Wonders. We have some great ones, and these are a few of the favorites that I have at the shop, and I think they'll be your favorites too. Well, that about does it for this episode of Magic and the Law of Attraction. If you'd like to get even more info about talismans and uh and charms and so on, then check out the learn page over at the Parlor of Wonders where you'll find a ton of free resources, including workshops and blog posts and how-to guides, how-to videos, past podcast episodes, and the way to join me over Zoom for the Magic Q&A Tea Party every Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern. Just go to parlorofwonders.com, click on the Learn tab to see all the goodies there. Thank you to all the Spell Squad members out there who have subscribed to and shared this podcast with your friends. And I want to thank all of you amazing folks who have left reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Those reviews really help get the word out to the wider world about the podcast, and I appreciate you taking the time to do them. I want to say thank you to Jill Navarre for production and engineering. Thank you to Manfred Hofer for announcing, and thank you to you for joining me. I'm looking forward to the next episode when we'll be answering the question, what is a lucky money frog spell? Until next time, this is Madame Pamita saying, keep making your life the most magical adventure ever. Ever.